Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. All right, this is the part we'd usually say, hey, if you're three years old to third grade, you can head on out of here. But what we're going to say, if you're three years old to third grade, or if you can walk or whatever, come on up right up to the front right here and go ahead and sit on the stage. Yep, mm -hmm, all y'all. Hey, I'm proud of you for being the first one. Good job. Second, good job. Boy, you're not going to sit up here with me? Thanks. Awesome. Cool. It's all right. You can leave me. Hey. So here's what we're going to start doing for the month of August is I'm going to kind of tell you a little bit what I'm going to tell the parents and you'll be smarter than them. Okay. So we're going to go off a little bit. Yeah, you are. Are you smarter than them? Yeah, of course you are. Absolutely. Hey, here's, here's what's going to happen. Have you ever, today we're going to be talking uh, with the big people about being salt and light. So I went out with my son the other day, uh, Noah, this kid right here, not Noah, Silas is his name. And so the other day I went out and we were shooting gophers and the guy that I was with had a whole bunch of salt licks in the back of his truck. And all of a sudden I looked in the back and there is little Jack Kirkland and Silas Runner licking the salt licks, <laughs> right? They're just back there just like, ugh, oh, this is so good. And then I got it all over my hands because I was throwing it everywhere. And I was like, wow, was, sometimes salt tastes good. I didn't feel like I was a cow, but anyway. Uh, but have you ever had something that does not have salt in it? It's just bland. It doesn't taste very good. Is it your mom's cooking all the time, Anchor? I'm just joking. <laughs> no, sometimes when we don't have salt, it doesn't taste good at all. It doesn't really taste like anything, does it? Yeah. You know, here's the deal is the Bible in Matthew, uh, it talks about uh, us. In Matthew chapter 5, it talks about us being the salt and the light. What do you guys, what do you guys put salt on? Food. Food? Nice. What do you put salt on? Pretzels. Pretzels? Yeah. Dot pretzels are the best. Macaroni? Eggs? Yeah, Absolutely. Macaroni, absolutely. Do you know what I used to put salt on when I was a little kid? Slugs. Yeah. yeah. Zucchini? Yeah, that's good. Hey, have you ever had salt on watermelon? Yeah, you should try. It's pretty good sometimes. But here's the deal. Salt is a really, really good at seasoning things. And God tells us that we are supposed to be like salt. We're supposed to be seasoning in everything we do. It means that we strive to make everything we do to be done by the fruit of the Spirit. Do you, guys, do you guys know what the fruit of the Spirit is? Have you ever heard of love? If you know it, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think I got those last two mixed up, didn't I? Absolutely. But in the same way as like salt, guess what else? Tony, you can go ahead and turn off the lights, man. It says that we're also supposed to be light, right? And Jesus in the story says, hey, you should be the light of the world and you shouldn't put it under a bushel or hide it. You should, let the, you should hold it up and let the whole world see it, right? It says we're a city on a hill. And so here's the, if I kept this light way down here, do you think the people in the very back room could see it? 
No. But what if I held it up higher? Do you think they, like this high? No. What about this high? Could everybody see it? It could be a back end and it could say, hey, come over here. It's way safer in the light. We can see all the spiders crawling on us. I'm just joking. All right, Tony, go ahead and turn those lights back on. And so today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how we be salt and light to the rest of the world. If you have your Bibles, why don't you open up with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 is where we're going to be today. We've been in a sermon series uh, talking about the church in the church just starting, and so Acts is where it kind of leads us to going through things. And we've been looking every single week at uh, one verse that's kind of the foundational verse for uh, Acts, and it's this right here, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we've been on this journey of going, how are we to be witnesses as a church uh, in our local sphere in a little bit outside and going to the ends of the earth? And we know that what's going on right now is the church has gone through huge persecution in Acts and it's pushing them outside of Jerusalem. In fact, actually, it's pushed them so far in today's story to a town called Antioch, which is 300 miles north of Jerusalem and about 30 miles inward from the sea. And this is the hub of a lot of activity. In fact, actually, um, if you wanted to describe it, um, the best way to describe it is this, is Antioch was today's present Las Vegas. Just where everybody comes, the culture is, uh, hey, uh, as much frivolity and partying as we can get. Um, it is the place where you can usually get things that you can't get in other places uh, because, man, we're so far inward that, they, uh, that at least it's a hub that they can come to. And so if you think about all of the things that's going on, I, there's um, even outside of Antioch, there was a temple to uh, the goddess Daphne. Um, who uh, was basically the sex god of the time, and they would, they would have prostitutes waiting for you and ready to go. Um, that is where, man, if maybe you wanted to know a couple things, that, uh, um, that's where you would go to uh, learn a little bit about what the world has to offer. And so that's kind of where we're at today. But the interesting thing about this chapter is something is going on in Antioch um, that uh, is taking it by storm, and we're going to get into it a little bit, but let's just read together in Acts chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 19, and it says this, Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at Jerusalem heard about what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. 
Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up in the me- one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers of Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. There is a lot going on in this uh, piece of scripture, and we're only going to focus on one thing, but a couple things that stand out is, hey, Barnabas um, was one of the guys that was voted in to become a disciple, and he was a huge encourager. Um, The next thing is this, is we actually see for the first time where a church in another city takes care of a church in a completely different city, that they know that things are struggling and they are going, hey, we're sending our support to another church. And this is huge because we do know that a little bit that the people of Antioch weren't the richest people, but they gave what they could to be able to support and go, no, we want to love one another well. And this is going back to what Jesus said over and over again is people will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Those are just a few quick things that we could learn from that, but I want to go a little bit of a different direction today, and so would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father God, as we get into this story, Lord, would we realize something about ourselves? Would we realize something about you? Would we uh, look towards you for guidance and direction about where we're headed Lord, would we be so filled with your Holy Spirit that, uh, that it would be evident that we cannot live without you, that people around us would see that you are absolutely the only one worth following. God, we love you and we thank you. In your holy name we pray, amen. So John chapter 1 starts out with this, hey, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and it goes on, and a little bit later it says, hey, God sent His Son to be the light of the world, but the world rejected Him because they would rather love darkness. They would rather be in the dark, even though that the truth was right in front of them. And I think where we're going today is, um, is what I've titled the sermon is Light in a Dark World. I, uh, I, I wasn't going to share this, but I, I feel like I have to. This morning it, it, hit my, it came across my desk once again or my face or my purview. But um, if you didn't know this week that uh, the same time that the uh, political debates were going on on Monday night, uh, it was overshadowed by another TV show going on on ABC called The Bachelorette. 
right? And so tons of people came to watch The Bachelorette. Now, I'm not going to shame you, though, how many people watch The Bachelorette? I don't. Um, but uh, what happened was, is there was a big, huge scandal. If you don't know what The Bachelorette is, it's this, is uh, The Bachelorette is a girl. So she does not, uh, she doesn't have a suitor or anything like that. So she goes on to this TV show and 25 guys come on to the TV show and try to woo her. By the end of it, they keep on like, hey, I give you this rose. Can, would you accept this rose, blah, 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 all these things. And then it gets down to like the last couple, uh, the last like three guys, right? And so she gets to go on special all-day dates with them. And at the very end of that date, she is given a card that says, you can join me in the fantasy suite. And so there's some suite that's kind of set aside. And so um, she goes on one date. And then she, if she decides that she likes this guy enough to spend the whole night with him, Right? I don't know what you would do in the whole night because you're sleeping anyway, but we're not going to go there. But uh, she can say, hey, do you want this card? And, and if the guy says yes, then they go off and then you watch the door shut. It's a reality TV show, okay? And so she ends up giving the card to this guy and this guy goes, you know, since I've become a Christian, um, I believe that I should wait until marriage uh, to uh, be with you all night long. And so she says, she responds to him going, yes, I am a Christian and I do and I have uh, spent the night with a guy before, but Jesus loves me anyway. And so there's this comment that goes on and so now it's all of a sudden blasted, right? It's all of a sudden like this huge argument on all of the media is like, oh my goodness, can you believe what he said? And these Christians are fighting one another about what's right and what's not right. And I mean, just going off on this thing. All the while forgetting that we're watching The Bachelorette, right? Like we're watching this TV show that is crazy to even be in the first place of a girl going, yeah, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put myself in a room with 25 guys and I'm going to get them to like me so that I can have blissfully ever after. The guy, even the fact that the guy who said, you know, since I've become a Christian, I need to wait till marriage. The whole entire time, he's sitting there saying, playing the he said, she said game, right? He was like a sleazeball the whole entire time, but nobody ain't talking about that. Nobody's talking about the, the fact that, hey, if she was a Christian, why did it take until week 14 to find this out? Why is it that maybe the first night she should have said, hey, all you 25 guys, I'm just going to let you know that if you don't pray with me before dinner, because we're going to have lots of dinners together. If you don't pray with me before dinner, bye-bye, toodaloo, we'll see you later. If you don't at least know something more than John 3.16, you out. Right? Or, hey, how about even this one? If you're not a Christian, you might as well just leave because I'm not marrying a non-Christian. But, but that's not TV, right? That doesn't sell good shows. That doesn't get viewers it doesn't do all of those things. And so part of me is thinking to myself going, wait a second, when have we just kind of dropped this off to that's not important? Or, oh, that's secondary. And then I started getting kind of a little bit agitated going, why is nobody talking about this? And then I remembered what, we've been, what I've been kind of sharing for the, a lot of weeks. 
is the exact same stuff is happening in our own midst, in our own town, in our own church, in our own lives, that we sit there and we go, wait a second, we've drawn this line and we've said, hey, I can't cross that line, but I'll cross all these other lines that clearly are showing that I'm not following Jesus like I want to be. And it's just a reinstatement of going, hey, let's get back to what's really happening and what's going on. Because in the midst of a dark world, if you're taking notes, in the midst of a dark world, Antioch was evangelized by average members of Christ's body. It doesn't take a huge evangelist to come in and all of a sudden do a huge tent meeting and have a huge band and say, hey, this is the way you go. No, it is, it is a place, the dark world is evangelized by normal people of Christ's body. That they live in such a way that they're witnesses to everybody they come across. In fact, this is what's incredible to me about Antioch is that the very first time in Antioch, the term Christian was ever used. Before that time, it was never used. A new word was created because of these people coming into a dark world. And all it means is this. All Christian means is this, is that Christ, which is uh, in the Greek form is Messiah, okay, and the Latin, uh, the, the Latin end Ian is basically follower. All that means is they are Christ or Messiah followers. It means they've attached themselves to somebody and are following their ways, That statement from The Bachelorette, when she says, and, and by the way, she's had other times where she's come back and gone, oh, well, that's not what I meant, but um, when she says, I've done that and God loves me anyways, is a true statement. God does love absolutely everybody, no matter their past or, or what they've gone through, or even what they're about to do. But when God offers us forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ, and, and a guide through the Holy Spirit, what he's saying is, is now you're attaching yourself to me, and so the things you used to do that were, that, uh, were bad, you're, you're not going to do anymore. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card it's not a time in which we can go, we now get to do whatever we want because, well, Jesus forgives me. Or, hey, we're all sinners and we're all going to sin anyway, so there's no use in fighting it. If you want to read an, an amazing chapter, uh, Romans 6 and Romans 8 are great uh, chapters to look at. One of them is the, uh, what I call the doo-doo chapter. Um, well, I, I just say that it's full of poop because he says, all the things I do not want to do, I do do, but the things I do do, I do not want to do, right? So it's just doo-doo, okay? But the idea is this, is that he's at least fighting for it. He's at least sitting there going, I want to be the follower of the Messiah. I want to follow what he's asking me to do. 
Kent Hughes says it like this. He says, they were the first people to bring that explosive light of Christianity into the midnight of paganism. Could you imagine if we were people who just don't want to stop at saying, "Uh, I just let Jesus be my Savior and so I'm absolved of all things, but not actually decide to take the things that we're learning of him into the world wouldn't be very explosive. And it absolutely would not be spreading into the dark corners of the world. You know, it's interesting, uh, we have an interview committee, and one of the questions that we always ask to um, people when they interview here, and we've done quite a lot of interviews since I've been here for three years, um, but one of the questions we ask is, would you describe, uh, would you tell us how people would describe you? There has only been one person in the whole entire, I think we've interviewed at least through all of the jobs that we've done, uh, we've probably interviewed 12 people. There's only one person that said, somebody would describe me as Christian. I would want to know if somebody would describe you as Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christ follower. Would they say you're a nice person, good guy, gregarious, joyous, fun-loving, caring, compassionate, Empathetic, apathetic, all those sort of things. But if they don't see Jesus in us, then what's the point? I would love to look back 30, 40 years, 50 years after After I leave a place and they would go, man, it's because of those weird Christian people. That's why that place is different. Not because they were nice people and they built really cool uh, things and they just took care of things. No, because they made the main thing the main thing. In fact, actually on his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts with uh, Matthew chapter 5. And if you have your Bibles, you can flip over, over there with me. But he gets done with uh, the Beatitudes and he just goes on, hey, if you are this way, you're blessed because of this. And he just goes on. And then the very next part where he says, God blesses you in these things, he says, you need to remember people who are following God. In verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it is gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Instantly, when I think of salt, I think of steak, right? Uh, You guys might think that's a little weird, but as you know, I've been trying to get into this whole, uh, like, I'm building a smoker and all this sort of stuff, and uh, it's a little bit bigger than it needs to be. But anyway, that's besides the point. <laughs> so just ask Tony to share you a picture. But uh, I haven't gotten him to finish yet because farming is more important than making a smoker. But uh, 
this, uh, everywhere I say is just like, man, add lots of salt to the meat. Not just a little, but like quite a bit. And so I've been playing around with salt. And, and I'm telling you, if you've ever had a steak without salt versus a steak with salt, it's unbelievable. Go home and try it today. It's phenomenal, okay? And then I think to myself going, wow, God is smart. Like God is impressive. He knows exactly. I mean, salt is one of the periodic, you know, element, well, sodium is, but like you can't, you can't fabricate that. It just is. God knew that one day, like you just wait, these people are going to experience salt. And then, then they're going to experience sea salt, which is even better. And then they're going to experience Himalayan pink salt. And that's pretty great too, right? But it just, it, it goes on. And, and I think to myself going, okay, salt, when Jesus talks about this, it is not something he flippantly throws out there and says, oh yeah, by the way, be salt. Salt has a purpose and a reason and a direction. And I think that after we've looked at things and really gone, why does Jesus put this in here? Because I think he understands that when people, well, Jesus just knows things, but he understands that when people get this, it will change their lives. I think salt is, is something interesting. First of all, um, when he goes into both salt and light, today I'm going to look at it as this. is I want to look at salt in terms of what salt does inside the church. Inside the church. And I want to look at what light does for those outside of the church today. And so if you're taking notes with me, uh, the very first thing is, is I, I want to make a contrast between these two, between salt and light. And so uh, if you'll put those up for me, that'll be awesome is this, is that the first thing that salt does is salt preserves and light exposes. Salt preserves and light exposes. You know, back in the day when they have cuts of meat, what do they have to do? They have to put tons of salt on it to keep it from decaying quicker, to keep it from just deteriorating. So they put salt on it so that it preserves and they can hold it longer and keep it longer and have it because they don't have refrigerators, all that sort of stuff. And light exposes, meaning that if there is something dark, light allows us to see what's wrong. And so in the church world, if we were to look at salt, it would mean something like this, that we look at 2 Timothy 3.16, and I don't have it up on the screens, and that's okay, but if you uh, have your Bibles and you want to flip over with me to 2 Timothy 3.16. I didn't have it marked in my Bible. 2 Timothy is in the New Testament, right? Okay, here we go. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us uh, teaches us what to what blah, and teaches us to do what is right. In the church world, man, we want to be people who are constantly preserving one another to keep going back to scripture over and over again. Wow, you guys are quick back there. Good job. Faster than me. We want to be able to walk to one another and go, hey, do you know your scripture? Do you know in, in your life what you're doing correctly? 
Are you allowing Scripture to fill you? In the same way that Scripture preserves us, I think also Scripture exposes what's wrong. 2 Timothy 3.16, again, in, in terms of light exposing things, as we read Scripture over and over again, it just illuminates what's going on in our hearts. I think it's interesting that I told the kids this morning about Galatians chapter 5, and usually in, verse, uh, in that verse, sorry, I'm, I'm looking at it right here, in verse 22 of Galatians, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We all know those, don't we? But the very few verses in front of it, in verse 19, it says, But when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, these are the results. Sexual immorality, impurity, Lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of, kingdom of God. That verse to me, just to let you know, those verses, sorry, it's, not, it's more than one, is just as powerful as the fruit of the Spirit. I don't want to get locked up in my sinfulness and going, well, wait a second. I think it's interesting. Um, my wife had something come across her Facebook post this week, or actually uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and on the Facebook post, it said, man, I am really enjoying uh, searching out different ways to be able to communicate with God. And she said, I've been loving going through these tarot cards. It keeps popping up over and over again, this one tarot card. And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit talks to me. And so we responded uh, in it going, sweetie, that, that's, that's, not, that, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's... That, that is absolutely not. The Bible says that you have direct access to the Holy Spirit. You don't, you don't need cards telling you anything. And she responded to us by saying, all you keep doing is being fearful of the things you don't know anything about. And so you're placing judgment on me that you think that this is fearful, like that you don't think that God can speak to us through tarot cards. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish I would have known in my mind Galatians 5.19 that says when you keep on acting in sinful ways, sorcery is not something you should be messing with. Because I guarantee also that I could have probably, I, 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 I shouldn't say I guarantee also, but I feel like I could have said, hey, do you, are you okay with Ouija boards then? Are you okay with opening yourself up to seances? Are you okay with drawing whatever you need to for drawing things on, on the floor so that you're more protected?
And when I look at Scripture over and over and over again, and God calls us to be holy as He's holy and know Scripture and be with Him, we preserve one another and we share truth with one another, but we also expose to the world what is wrong. And it doesn't come from an opinion. It doesn't come from, well, I just think that this is the right way to go. No, the Bible clearly says this. Problem is, is I, I don't know if I, if, if, if we want to really listen to the Bible most times. I think we would rather say, yeah, but. Bible says this, yeah, but. And so when it comes to preserving one another in this, I think we start with going, hey, God, would you please lead us back to Scripture over and over again? Would you help the Scripture to be the salt for us, but also we as salt bearers be the preservers? And the second thing that salt and light do is salt cleanses and light guides Proverbs 26, I'm sorry, Proverbs 27, verse 6, says this. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. If you have ever stepped in the ocean with an open cut, you know what that feels like. It hurts. If you've ever poured salt on a wound, it hurts. But, it, but it's cleansing it. It's not adding bacteria to it. It's, it's absolutely washing all the impurities out so that it is better. And I love this verse when it says, wounds from a sincere friend are better. I know that I'm taking this a little bit more out of context than like cleansing because he's saying that, I mean, they're creating wounds, but I think most of the time we probably walk around with already open wounds and they just are trying to help us see them. It hurts for a little while because we know it costs us something. God, if I am going to stand up for you, it's going to cost me something. For the bachelorette, if she probably would have stood up and said one of those things, it might have cost her the fact that she didn't get to go through the whole process. And she might not have made any money. I don't know how much money you make. I have no clue. Might cost her Twitter, Instagram followers, Facebook followers. I don't know. But we are to be people who are constantly looking at what's going on in our homes and what's going on in our own lives to go, I have to clean that out. It can't be a part of what's going on. I think it's funny that we get on such a track of the big things, right? So I was talking earlier about why was it that the things that they got all upset about in The Bachelorette were spending the night together. I didn't hear any posts upon how people are lying to one another or how this maybe isn't the way that God wants us to go about things. 
I didn't hear a post on how somebody, was, how somebody was slandering this other person and how the Bible says not to slander. I didn't hear anything about gossip. I didn't hear anything about the small things that we would say, oh, well, those are just little white lies. It's okay. Those things should matter to us just as much. Do you allow crude conversation to be in your house? Do you stop people from uh, gossiping around you? Are you an integrous person? Do you look for integrity and honesty in all things, or do you let things slide because it's easier? And it keeps coming back to me over and over again. Are you focusing, well, not focusing, but are you trying your best to live the fruit of the Spirit? Are there times when you can look back and go, I'm not joyous, what's going on in my life? What needs to be cleansed out? I'm not patient, what's going on? I'm not gentle. I'm not having self-control. And the last one is this. Salt seasons and light beckons. And when I think about this one, I've, I've talked, about, uh, talked about looking at the word. I've talked about getting rid of things. And, and here's the one that I, I think is interesting is when I think about seasons, I think about the idea of is everything you do seasoned with prayer? Are you looking for every opportunity to cover things in prayer? I hope we realize that prayer is incredibly vital to our relationship with Jesus Christ. It is where we understand a little bit more about who God is and, and what he's trying to accomplish in, in our lives, but also, man, it allows him to speak to us. And when light beckons, I think when I see that is this, is that people from all far away can look at it and go, I want to go there. I'm sick and tired of being in the dark. I want to go there. And so are we the light that people want, are, are drawn to and are sucked into? Is it a different light than the rest of the world has to offer? As an encouragement, I, I love this little story that's on the bottom of your bulletin. And uh, it, was, it was taken from Kent Hughes's book. And it says this, it says, Alexander the Great once learned that in his army was a namesake, another Alexander, who was a notorious coward. Alexander the Great, who conquered the world when he was just 23, called the soldier before him and said, is your name Alexander? And are you named for me? The trembling coward said, yes, sir, my name is Alexander, and I was named for you. The general said, then either be brave or change your name. Fortunately, Christ does not say that to us, but he does exhort us to be who we are, to live out our calling in faithful, obedient service. Do we look to be people in a dark world 
to be Christ followers? Do we preserve, cleanse, and season things? Do we expose and guide and beckon people? Or are we living in a dark world ourselves? And you get an opportunity this morning to really think about that. And we're going to take communion today. And um, the song that we're singing at the, uh, the close of our service is um, Rescue. And it's about Jesus coming to our rescue. No matter where you find yourself this morning, if you find yourself on the outside going, man, I'm sick and tired of living in the dark and I, and I want to live into the light, I'm, I'm telling you that Jesus is the first place to start, to understand the depths of his love that he does forgive sin, that he does forgive whatever we've done in the past but he's asked us to move forward and be a follower of him in which we do preserve and we do cleanse and we do season so that we can expose and guide and beckon. Communion is one of those things in which uh, you don't have to feel bad if you don't take communion, if you don't feel like you're in the right place or hey, you haven't prescribed to Jesus yet. It's not one of those things that we're all gonna look at you and go, oh my goodness, that person didn't take communion. Let's jump on them right now and get them to where they need to be. No, this is an incredible moment in which Christ followers get to say, God, where have I kind of gone astray a little bit? Where do I need to maybe focus back on you, but also to give ultimate praise and go, God, you are phenomenal. You are awesome. And, and I have the ability to take communion because of what you've done on the cross for me. It's a relationship thing, not a tradition thing. It's a moment in which we come and we go, God, I, I know that I have not been transformed by the renewing of my mind. In fact, God, I've probably been more conformed to this world than anything. It's a moment to be able to take time with God and say, God, okay, here we go. Let's walk together. And so we're going to have two stations of communion. We're going to have one sitting right over here and you can come and, and another one sitting over there and just come up the middle aisles and go out the outsides or go back down the middle. And if you can't get up and if, you're, uh, if you can't get up and walk, hey, uh, Dan will be walking around with communion and you can just raise your hand to him and he'll bring communion to you. But let me remind you what we're doing here. Paul says this, he goes, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body which is given for you. It's given so that we could have price paid for our sins, that we would be allowed to have a relationship with God, that we no longer have to break other bodies, to kill other animals. He paid the ultimate sacrifice by being beaten on our behalf, despised by men, 
then in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. The new covenant is this, is that your sins are washed away. That Jesus' blood covers you. That when God doesn't, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your ugly mess. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ over you. Then he says, don't take this in an unworthy manner, but spend time thinking truly about this. Because every time you are taking this, you are proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ in your life. That means for me this morning that I I don't want any more half measures. I don't want any more, I'm okay with this, but I'm not okay with this bigger thing. That I'm not that I'm not okay with just learning a few scriptures that'll get me by, but I want to know the heart of God fully. That I want to lead my family in ways in which they are know we are we are grounded and centered in the Word. For me, it also means that I want to be better at looking at this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control and saying, God, where in my life am I not having this? Where do I need to get better, God, for the sake of your kingdom, not mine? And so you don't have to come up right away. You don't have to make a big rush. You can spend time in your chair while we play through the song. You can stand where you are and you can worship and then later on you can come down and take it but I'm just asking you please spend some time spend some time saying God this is the sin that I know that I need to ask for forgiveness for and then praise him for the fact that he does forgive so come when you're ready let me pray dear Heavenly Father God as we Take this bread and eat this cup or drink this cup. Lord, we'd remember your graciousness upon our lives. That God, a a dark world is waiting for us to show them your light. Is waiting for us to season everything with salt and to be able to cleanse and to be able to preserve. God, that's that's what your word does. Your word preserves our soul through your son, Jesus Christ. And so God, as we take this, Lord, would we remember your death, your burial, and your resurrection, and would would we shout it out outside of these walls? In your holy name we pray, amen. And so this week, take every opportunity you can to preserve those around you and to help cleanse those around you and season everything with with joy this week, but also expose things that you know are wrong and guide into the right ways of truth and, and be a person who beckons people to 
to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you so much for being our God. Lord, there's truly nobody else we'd rather follow. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Have a great Sunday. I love you all. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.